You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Merry Christmas, almost. We're in the book of Philippians as we've been studying the theme of joy. And this comes at a great time because today in particular is about joy in the midst of lives that we've messed up. And let's be honest, we've all messed up. And God still has joy for all of us. A lot of times during the Christmas season, there are joy killers and joy stealers. And God wants you to have his mind, his attitude, his disposition. So we've been studying the book of Philippians written by a guy named Paul. 19 times in 104 verses, Paul talks about joy and rejoicing. There's a lot to learn about joy and rejoicing today. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1, where he's going to tell us right off the bat, remember to rejoice because we forget. You know, we'd never leave home without a wallet, a purse, car keys, cell phone. But we would leave home without the joy of the Lord. You've got to remember to take it with you. Chapter 3, verse 1 begins this way. Further, and I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> one word in to that you're thinking, boy, this is going to be long today. Okay. Further. Another translation uses the word finally. Here is Paul, chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, finally. Does that mean he's, he's, he's about done? No, he's halfway through. This is like the pastor's life verse. Finally, and I'm going to go on, that's only half of the sermon. He says, finally, or further, my brothers and sisters, remember, church is about being family. God is our father. And what does he tell them? Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord. It's your choice. It's your decision. He's telling us that God is a joyful God and that we will only truly get our joy in Him. How do I know? Because He's telling us that no matter what else is going on, no matter where you're at, there is joy in the Lord. So that's the first thing to remember. Joy comes from the Lord. That means that lasting joy does not come from Amazon. I don't care how many smiley faces they put on their boxes. This time of year, we're, we're getting things in store and through online retailers. But God wants you to know that joy is only found in the Lord. So if you want joy, you've got to go to the Lord Jesus. And then you can enjoy the people and the things that God puts in your life. You see... What this means is that if we can continually access the joy of the Lord, that must mean that He is a continually joyful God. He is. Otherwise, what we would be downloading is His anger, His wrath, His, his sorrow. God is a joyful God. That is His disposition constantly. Now, there are occasions briefly where His anger and sorrow and, and, and grief come. 
but the default is joy. And some of you don't know that. And Paul tells us over and over and over because we forget. You need to remind yourself today. You need to remind yourself when you go to work tomorrow. You need to remind yourself when relatives come over for Christmas. Joy comes not from our circumstances. Joy comes from the Lord. And we bring our circumstances into the joy of the Lord. You and I get so caught up in everything else this time of year. All the shopping, the gift wrapping, the food planning, and then the normal mess of school and kids and work that we can miss this very important aspect to life that joy is in the Lord and there's no other place for it to be found. Now, in case you haven't been with us for a few weeks, you may be thinking, yeah, Paul who wrote that doesn't know my circumstances. Let's see how he would respond if everything's going wrong in his life then it's helpful for you to know that when Paul writes this letter, he's in jail in Rome, 800 miles away from his friends in Philippi. He knows what he's talking about. He's chained to a Roman guard when he writes a letter about joy and rejoicing. He can do that because his joy is not based on his circumstances. His joy is tied to the Lord. Folks, that's all verse 1. We have 16 verses. So in about an hour from now, I'm going to say finally. And that means we're halfway through. I'll see if you're still here. Now he's going to talk about people and things that are joy killers. And it might surprise you to hear that one of the things that perhaps is the biggest defeater of joy is religion. Now, by religion, I don't mean what churches, most churches do to love and serve the Lord and follow Jesus. I'm talking about man-made rules, traditions that take away from true faith, as if we have to perform to be acceptable to God. So he starts in on them. Watch out for those dogs, he refers to them, those evildoers, those mutilators, of the flesh. He's talking about religious folks. Paul is in prison 800 miles away and religious folks are swooping in to Philippi and they're saying, "Okay, here's what you used to do. Now here's what you're going to need to start doing because we have clipboards and judgments and performance reviews for you folks." For it is we who are the circumcision we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, there is no other one to boast about and who put no confidence in the flesh. He's talking about human works, human effort, human performance. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, what Paul's about to do, he's going to give us a list, a list of his resume before he met Jesus. And you may think, okay, that's a really silly list, as if Paul could use his Jewishness to define how spiritual he is. Well, you know, we have silly lists too. Sometimes we come up with things like 
speaking in tongues. That's going to determine if you're varsity or JV. Or the method of baptism. Or if, you know, you can only use one version of the Bible. That's what religion does. It says, I'm the standard. You all fall short of me. Have you ever noticed that that's not just a Christian church thing, though? It shows up in every cause, whether social or political. We're the good guys. You, who have the opposing view, are the bad guys. That's the spirit of religion. So Paul's going to give us his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day. That's according to Jewish law. Of the, tri- of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law A Pharisee, these are the most zealous, committed, devoted, hardcore religious people. As for zeal, persecuting the church, he pursued, arrested, harassed, even murdered people who didn't agree with his view of religion. Again, this was all before he met Jesus. As for righteousness based on the law, Faultless. You think, this is crazy. In the first five books of the Old Testament are 613 laws. And what Paul is saying is, I don't need Jesus. I've got this. I'm good. What he thought before he met Jesus is that he had arrived. And that he was able to achieve near perfection on earth. But what does he now say about all that human pursuit of acceptability in God's eyes? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He has lost a lot, by the way. He lost his friends. He lost his family. They would have had a funeral for him, much like parts of the world today still. He lost his income, his security, his safety. Now that he's in prison, he's lost his freedom. He's facing the possibility of losing his life. And what does he say? What a great deal. I took everything I had done in everything I was and moved it to the loss column. And the only thing I have in the profit column, the only thing I want in the profit column is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, I consider them garbage. All those things that he had done, all those things he thought were making a difference in God's eyes. I consider them garbage. Now, the English language does you a favor right here because the Greek word is much harsher than garbage. It's, you know, the, the things that you want to dodge when you take your dog out in the yard. It's a steaming pile. That's closer to the Greek I'll just stick with garbage. I consider them garbage 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, we've heard this very churchy word, righteousness, used three times in these 11 verses. Let's make sure we understand. God is righteous. That means he's holy and pure and perfect, that he is truth and goodness and light God made us to be righteous, but the truth is through rebellion and sin, we have become unrighteous. We are not the best, of the best view of ourselves. We are not the best versions of ourselves. Something needs to change. And at this point, it seems we have two options. We can either pursue righteousness through works or righteousness through gifting. Works, righteousness is all about performance. Trying to do good and be good so I can claim I'm a good person. The problem with that is that God's standard is not better. God's standard is perfect. Some people think that God grades on a curve. He doesn't. You're either perfect or imperfect. That's God's scale. So that means we need his perfection because we do not possess it on our own. So option number two, righteousness is not earned by you. It is earned by Jesus Christ and then given to you as a gift. That is gift righteousness. You see, now you can have a right relationship with God. This is a gift of grace. Jesus is not about religion. He's about relationships. And he will change you by his love. He doesn't demand that you change first in order to have a relationship with him. So Christianity then is is easy because all we need is Jesus? No, it's hard because we need humility. We come to God not with our hands full of our achievements. We come to God empty knowing that everything we have is a gift from Him. Righteousness is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Forgiveness of sin is a gift. Heaven is a gift. So let me ask, do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Because you see, that's the most important question you'll ever have to answer. And it determines your eternal destiny. Even right now, in the quiet of your mind, you can say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. And you know what? Jesus is always glad to show up and forgive and love and serve you. It's his joy. Final thought on this. We are not saved by our works. We are saved in order to do good works. But it's the work of Jesus. It's the work of Jesus for us. It's the work of Jesus in us. It's the work of Jesus through us. And it's all a gift of faith. Last section. You know what? I skipped over 
this very important part. That's okay. Last section. Finally, not, this is Paul, not that I have already obtained all this, I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this is, this goes on your to-do list, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In Jesus Christ, you have attained righteousness. In Jesus Christ, you have attained a relationship with God. In Jesus Christ, you have attained eternal life. And then the Holy Spirit comes along to empower you to live out all that you have attained in Jesus. Paul says, look, I know I'm not perfect. This guy writes 13 books of the New Testament. Some say 14, but uh, nobody really knows for sure who wrote Hebrews. There are 27 books in the New Testament. So by sheer number of books, Paul writes almost half of the New Testament. At this point, he's been a Christian about 30 years. He's in prison, writing a book of the Bible because he loves Jesus. And here's what he says. I've not arrived yet. Here's the good news. It doesn't matter how mature you are. And there are some incredibly mature saints in this church, but they, like Paul, are still pressing forward, learning, growing. There's always more to learn about Jesus. There's always more ways in which to become like Jesus. If the Apostle Paul, after 30 years of God speaking, working directly in his life, can say, I'm not there yet, then the good news for all of us is that we've not arrived either. That means You and I are a work in progress, and the best is yet to come. Paul has planted churches, written books of the Bible. His is an amazing life. One of the most important figures in the history of the world. And what he knows is, my best day is still ahead of me. So forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward. Because there's an upward call, there's an upward hope for me. You need not know what the future holds. But you need to know that a good God who loves you and is for you holds the future. And you pursue it. And you chase it until you can see it by sight. Let me testify briefly to this. Years ago, my family and I were faced with a very difficult time in ministry. We knew that God was closing a door, but we didn't have a clue as to where that was going to take us next. We didn't know where we were going to land, what was going to happen. Lots of unknowns. Our girls were seven and five at the time. All we knew were two things. 
It was a transition time, and God had a plan for us. We moved to North Carolina. We don't have any family here. We didn't know anyone. But we pressed forward, and we have been blessed by you guys ever since. So if you're there, if you're in the middle of it right now, move forward. Keep going. Don't get paralyzed. Don't be consumed by feeling stuck. If you will invite the joy of the Lord's presence, then you will be able to take whatever comes into your life, including hardship or trouble or heartache or hurt, and you'll be able to bring those into the presence of the Lord and be overcome by the joy of the Lord no matter what your circumstance, because the joy of the Lord is bigger, truer, better, richer than any circumstance that you're going through. God wants his presence and the presence of his joy to live with you day by day. In addition, God wants his joy to live in your family and to live in our church family. Bottom line, your joy is your choice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being a joyful God, a generous God, a good God, a loving God. And Father, just like our kids need us, and it's our joy to serve them, be with them, love them, we need you, and it's your joy to be with us, love us, serve us. During this Christmas season, let us not just sing about joy to the world, but be bringers of joy to the world through the person and work and presence and power of Jesus Christ who is with us now and always and in whose name we pray this prayer and the prayer that he taught saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.